Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. Today we're talking with Kira Satrian, loneliness, not something I think about a whole lot, not something most people think about a whole lot, but it's shocking how many people are quote unquote lonely, scientifically defined, suffering from chronic loneliness in the United States. Millennials have a specifically large problem with this, and frankly, there is an antidote, we're gonna talk about that, it's called closeness. It can be learned, and Kira's gonna tell us how. With that, welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger, and I'm here with producer Jason. Tag. The Art of Charm brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and exceptional individuals to teach you how to be a top performer in life, love, and at work. We may not have all the answers, but we definitely have all the questions. All right, let's talk to Kira Satrian. So tell us what you do in one sentence. I am a certified relationship coach, and I work with couples and teams primarily on building this feeling of closeness. And what exactly does that mean? Because first of all, when someone says, okay, I'm a certified relationship coach, I don't really know what that means because I feel like the coaching industry doesn't have a lot of integrity. And I say that from the position of being one myself, but I would agree that there's a lot of kind of just BSE certifications around. So can you tell us why we should listen to you versus the guy who put up a website yesterday and says he's also a certified coach? No, it's a good question. There are not a lot of regulations around the coaching industry. I went to the biggest and longest running life coaching school. It's called the Coaches Training Institute. So I have real training and the topic of loneliness is something that I've lived through myself and I draw on a lot of my own life experiences to talk about what worked for me and then what has worked for my clients going forward. Okay, why did you pick the topic of loneliness? Because I just never think about loneliness. It's on the forefront of my consciousness. Were you a lonely person? Did that spark interest? Is this something that was close to you? Yeah, it is something that I drew upon my own life from. I actually remember feeling lonely as a little child. And I remember being in elementary school and being like, this is really strange that I feel this feeling, especially because I have a very nice family. You know, I've always had friends more or less. And a lot of the advice that's out there in the world about loneliness is very like, put yourself out there. Yeah, it's crap. If it's... you just meet more people, you'll have more friends. And I wanted to approach it from a different perspective. And you're preaching to the choir here for sure, because 
when we first started this show, we were kind of in like a dating frame and dating advice was just be yourself. And it's like, well, that works great if yourself is awesome and outgoing and fun and you don't get nervous ever. Otherwise, you're screwed. And so I totally understand, yeah, oh, just put yourself out there. Okay, what does that mean? And then people are like, you know, I gotta go. <laughs> and that's it, right? That's all they got. Yeah. Did you start researching this topic or were you like, okay, I feel this, I gotta go get therapy. I mean, where did the research process begin for you? Yeah, so I spent about two years researching really just relationships in general. The question that I wanted to answer, both for myself and in the book, was what makes people feel close to one another? Because the idea of like having friends is too amorphous for me personally. I wanted to understand what made a friend a close friend. I read thousands of studies and I gave myself a makeshift master's degree in intimate relationships. And then out of that, there's a lot of research in the book. And most of that came from that two year period of research. This is sort of a, a crappy pun almost or meta inception, but it seems like it would get lonely and depressing reading about loneliness and depression for two years. <laughs> it kind of totally did. I actually did. It was like, doctor, heal thyself or whatever that phrase is. Yeah, physician, heal thyself. I think that was like Hippocrates or something like that in the back in the Greek days. I'm not sure if you pronounce it that way, but yeah, exactly. At some point, you're sitting in the stacks of a public library at closing time on a Friday and you're like, wait a minute, this is me. Yeah, and I also didn't really anticipate that some people would find this topic kind of embarrassing. Like, to me, it's totally not. I don't feel vulnerable talking about it. As it's come out, and I've been speaking to a lot of people about it, it's like, I guess this isn't a thing that everybody thinks about as much as I do. Well, that and also, I can imagine just from a guy's perspective, guys don't want to show any weakness in their armor at all. So if I talk to every single guy that I know and I was like, are you lonely? The only people that would ever admit any loneliness at all might say something like, well, you know, sometimes everybody does. But nobody's gonna go, yeah, I'm a lonely person. I mean, I can think of the most down and out solitary people and they probably still would never want to admit this because it's kind of like saying I'm defective in some way. That's how people feel about it. People don't think, yeah, you know, I just, I don't have enough close people around me. It's a problem, I should fix that. Nobody wants to say that because it's kind of like saying, I can't stop eating junk food or I don't shower every day. People look at it like a defect in themselves, not as a condition that they can change. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And that was one of the big kind of misconceptions that I wanted to address because I believed that about myself. I believed I'm too introverted. I'm too shy. I know that there have been people who I could have been closer to and I didn't because of whatever. But blaming yourself actually reinforces isolating oneself. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that. And to me, I feel like a lot of what relationships are about are really skills based. Like it's a lot of it is not really inherent character traits. It's really about learning how to interact with people in ways that are not super obvious. Interesting. How many people are lonely though? I mean, you mentioned chronic loneliness in the book and I'm thinking, okay, is that a real thing? Because if it is, it's a condition and how many people have it? Yeah, so most recent statistic is one in five Americans. So that's about 60 million people qualify as chronically lonely. What does that mean though? Like we said before, everybody's lonely from time to time. What is chronically lonely? Is that like every day you're lonely? Well, it's a self-reported thing. To be honest, don't know what exactly the question was that was asked or if that was a composite of like lots of questions that were asked. 
I mean, for me, I can speak for myself. I felt lonely at points every single day, even when I was with people. There's a certain subjective experience that I think a lot of people feel all the time. That's really interesting. So you can be hanging out with people that are quote unquote your friends or even your family and still be lonely at that time. Oh yeah, being around people can exacerbate it. When you're feeling the type of loneliness that's more of a feeling not understood or feeling kind of misrepresented, that can actually exacerbate it. So is it exacerbated because you're around people and it just serves to highlight the fact that you're so different and that they're not the same way as you and don't understand you, et cetera? Because I'm trying to wrap my mind around being with friends and being like, wow, I feel more lonely than I do when I'm at home by myself watching Netflix. You know what I mean? Yes, the way you phrased it is right. I would also make a distinction between if you happen to have a number of close friends hanging out with them, ideally you wouldn't feel lonely around them. But I think a lot of people have felt that experience of like going to Thanksgiving dinner or something and just feeling like all these people who are technically your family are just, they just don't get you. Like they just don't know what's going on in your life in a meaningful way. I can certainly understand that. I I recall many experiences years and years ago, especially before starting to get into the skills that we teach and talk about here at The Art of Charm, I can definitely recall thinking, nobody gets it, this is awful, and even traveling to get away from it, which made things worse, because now I'm in a place where nobody gets me and they don't speak English or whatever. And that was a bad strategy, by the way. Is this something that you have experienced personally other than while researching it? I mean, is this something where you were like, I'm lonely as hell, I should look into this? Yeah, I never ended up getting therapy for it because I just decided to think of it from a more academic standpoint and just approach it from that angle. But yes. And the other thing that's interesting to me is that I, for a while, thought I was depressed. And then I realized that for me personally, it was really more of this just not feeling connected to people in a meaningful way. And I I think that because depression is a diagnosable mental disorder and loneliness is not. There's a clinical definition where you go, check, check, check. Okay, you have depression. And there's a lot more awareness. Depression feels like a real thing, quote unquote, to more people than loneliness does. Right, where loneliness is kind of like quit crying. Right. Was that the response that you got or is that the response that people get? Because I can imagine, again, especially men feeling lonely unless they tell somebody who's really understanding and caring. I can't for a second imagine telling any of my guy friends, I'm just really lonely lately and not feeling like, oh my gosh, they're gonna react poorly to this. Because if somebody told me that, I would try to be understanding, but I would be thinking, well, then do something about it. Mm -hmm. There's a certain amount of like, don't wallow in it, that I think is pushback that a lot of people get. You know, so when I was writing the book, to be honest, it didn't even occur to me to think about it from a gendered perspective. I thought what I was writing was super gender neutral. But after it has come out and many men have told me like, this is just not something that men would do. They would not ask these questions. I look deeply into that. And there's probably a second book to be written in here about men and social shortcomings. 
Yeah, well, this is why I have a job in the first place. But I would say that it's not surprising for me like it might have been for you to find out that maybe men have a tougher time with this. Not that more men are lonely or whatever, but that we have a tougher time dealing with it even when we become fully aware of the problem and even when a solution might be laid out in front of us. But I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. You mentioned closeness. Is that the antidote for loneliness? And if so, what is that? What does that mean? Yes. So that is what I offer as the antidote to loneliness. In the social sciences, it has a ton of different meanings. So I give it my own definition. And my definition of closeness is direct access to another person's inner world. And it's created through two things, through knowing and caring. And knowing means essentially knowing what's going on with somebody in a slightly deeper way than we usually do. And caring means showing them that you actually care about what's going on with them. So this is to be seen differently from quote unquote friends, right? Because it's like, well, everybody's got friends or or maybe not everybody, but a lot of people, most people have friends. Because I can see somebody saying, I'm lonely. And people are like, what are you talking about? You just had your birthday party. There were like 30 people there. You're not lonely. You're just being dramatic. Meanwhile, those are 30 people that you have very superficial connections with that if you had a problem emotionally tomorrow, if you called them and told them about it, they would be totally weirded out. I feel like you kind of hit on the essence of it, actually. It's like, who would come to a party that you were throwing versus who would really talk to you if you were suffering? Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Right. Who's going to meet you one-on-one and be like, I heard your cat passed away. I'm so sorry. Why don't we go shopping and hang out and, like, watch a movie and, like, you know, bro out? 
or whatever <laughs> guys do. <laughs> you didn't expect me to say bro out after those two things. <laughs> no. But I think that those people that you have that you're able to do that with, there aren't that many. I mean, a lot of people that I know, and myself included, I often have to call people that live in other area codes or time zones or whatever to talk about those things. And I'm not lonely, right? I have a lot of close friends, but they certainly don't all live within walking distance of my house. This isn't the 80s and stuff like that or whatever where people were less mobile. I think the problem has probably gotten worse over time. Is that true? It has, yeah. So objectively, loneliness is rising as an issue based on the limited studies that have been performed about loneliness specifically. And just anecdotally, I think that we know that our relationships are changing. Like, for example, most people live alone, which is a highly unusual way to live given the whole span of history. You know, and we know that technology is getting involved in our relationships when you take a step back. So yeah, it is becoming more prevalent. Are there numbers on how many close friends the average American has these days or whatever? Is that something that's been studied at all? The most recent, which is not too recent anymore, unfortunately, was done in 2005. It was the general social survey. It asked the question, how many confidants do you have? And actually the most common response was zero. Wow, mostly because people don't know what that word means. <laughs> Maybe. What you really want is to have between one and five. If you have zero, that can cause emotional stress that is actually quite bad for you. And when you have more than five, it tends to be kind of like diminishing returns because these relationships take a lot of effort to maintain. And it's like, how many people are you gonna call and vent to? After five, you're just tired, you go to sleep, right? But I can see this being kind of like, to use the bottle analogy for emotions, if you're bottling something up, if you've got five outlets, you vent and you're good, if you have zero outlets, that pressure's building in there until you snap. It is. You know, this is sort of a slightly off-topic thing, but most of the time when people are talking about these confidants, almost everybody says a woman. <laughs> Men say they reveal themselves to women and women say the same thing. So women seem to be like holding up a lot of the emotional support of the world right now. Yeah, no surprise there though, because women generally feel more comfortable opening up, being more vulnerable to other women, shocking, right? And guys, of course, being vulnerable to a female, that's half the reason men have female friends is so that we can lean on, on them for that type of thing because they're great at it. If you do that with another guy, I mean, that's a process that could take years and years and years, sort of baby stepping down into the like, oh, you're gonna admit something embarrassing in front of me and it's not gonna be used against me later. I mean, that's a process that takes a lot of time for most men, so no big surprise there. But I am surprised by the fact that there's such a large percentage of people that have no one to talk to. It looks like in the book you mentioned that this number of people that have no one to talk to about matters of importance has more than doubled to a quarter of the population, and that's kind of scary because that's a lot of people. I mean, that's tens of millions of people across the US and growing that just have nobody they can confide in. It is. I kind of mentioned this earlier, but I think it's masquerading as other things in a lot of ways. Like we know that depression is skyrocketing on college campuses in particular and anxiety. And of course, anxiety and relationships kind of, for a lot of people go hand in hand. But yeah, it's a big deal. It's a big topic. 
how do you think social media is exacerbating loneliness? Because it seems like there are more and more studies coming out that show that social media is actually making us more lonely and less connected. Yes. In general, in like, you know, the 20,000 feet view, yes, it is making us more lonely and more disconnected. And I think that it's because essentially we feel like we have more people in our lives than we really do. And it's actually like social media is very good at convincing us that we have people to turn to because people will like our post or what have you. But it's just not the same thing. Our brains aren't really wired to think of relationships like that. Yeah, because they're abstract. We can't see these people in front of us a lot of the time. They're not interacting with us. They're not doing the same activities with us a lot of the time. We're just seeing them online. So it's almost like they don't really exist, but in our mind, they exist just enough for us to envy them and feel close enough to not have what they have, but not close enough to actually get the benefits of the relationship. That's a beautiful way of putting it. The other thing that's about social media that's kind of the flip side of it or the dark side of it is that when people don't reply to you or they don't reach out to you or they don't like your stuff, it feels like a rejection in a way that's kind of like totally unnecessary. They're not rejecting you. We just have built this as a core part of our social support and it doesn't really work that well for it. So knowing that millennials are the biggest users of things like social media, can we extrapolate or sort of go down that path and assume that millennials have a bigger problem with loneliness than the rest of the population? I think they do. Uh, what we know about the trends in terms of age is that there's a big spike in loneliness around late teens, early 20s, which is, I would say, young millennials. And then the second big one is around 40s and 50s. The second one makes intuitive sense to me because I feel like in 40s and 50s, a lot of people have children, a lot of people have spouses, they have elder parents to take care of, they have jobs. There's just more obligations than like, I want to see my friends, you know? Where your whole life is built around cultivating a social network, a real life social network or a virtual one. Now you have things like bills that don't fall into the category of fun things to do with your friends and family. Right. Or my parents have dementia. Like, okay, that's more important than whatever else we're going to be doing. Right. And so since that takes precedence, you might say, I can't be selfish and think about myself right now and have friends and a life. So you start focusing on all those other people's priorities. But in the meantime, you're actually becoming more lonely, not focusing on yourself because, quote unquote, that would be selfish. And yet now we're finding it's bad for your health. It is bad for your health. Yeah. And once you're asked the question, point blank, are you feeling lonely? Like a lot of these self-reported social surveys do, then that's the first moment that you're like, yeah, maybe I am. Yeah. I think uh, it seems like something that I would have to be beaten over the head with that in order to get it. <laughs> so I can definitely understand why other people find themselves to be the same way. You say in the book that the answer to loneliness is more closeness. What do you mean by that? Is that something that we can define? Yeah. So the way I define it is that what a lot of people feel when they're feeling lonely is not an absence of people. It's an absence of a certain feeling. What I mean by that is that they feel like people don't understand them in their truest self and on the inside. So closeness is a way to access somebody else's inner world. It's not actually as scary as it sounds when I define it. You do it in baby steps and it builds up over time. And then over 
a couple months or a year, you have a magnificent relationship that you could have never imagined beforehand. How are you drawing and are you drawing the distinction between love slash intimacy and closeness? Is there a nuance there? Yeah, some of it is semantic, but I actively didn't want to call this intimacy because I wanted it to be able to apply to relationships that are totally not romantic. And to me, I can't get intimacy away from sex in my own mind. Yeah, it's kind of a euphemism for that that would come out weird. Yeah, I talk about closeness at work. Intimacy at work just sounds weird to me personally. (laughs) It sounds like something you're not supposed to do at work. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, so that's why I chose not intimacy. And then love to me is interesting and I love love. But to me, it's like much more mysterious how it comes to be. You know, people can love people before they're born. They can love people after they die. And closeness to me is not really like that. It's something that is really done through specific actions. Huh, okay. So how do we create the closeness then? Are there actions that we can do? Because it sounds to the lay person, to me listening right now without knowing anything else, it's like, okay, make friends, spend lots of time with them, dot, 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 closeness. Yeah, that's a totally fair question. What I say you need to do to create closeness with somebody is really two things. And the two things are big and broad and they're meaty, but there's really just two of them. It's knowing and caring. And knowing is the part where you get to know somebody, haha. But on a layer that's deeper than we usually go with most of the people we interact with. And there's a lot of specific information I can give about how to do that. Yeah, let's dive into that. I would love to hear, because we're all about practicals here at AOC. So we want people to come away with this being like, oh, loneliness is a problem. Hmm, maybe this is a problem I have. Okay, here's how I'm going to solve it. (laughs) Yeah, so the A number one thing to do when it comes to knowing is when you find yourself in a situation where ideally you're talking to somebody one-on-one, it could be at work, like around the water cooler style. It could be with somebody in your family, whatever. Almost everybody starts out in these conversations that are very like, what are you working on? What are you doing this weekend? Like, did you see the game? Superficial type stuff. Yeah. And there are ways to ask questions that are not intimidating and not interrogative that take the conversation one layer deeper into essentially what is motivating you to do the things that you're doing. Right. So instead of becoming about maybe like logistics, it starts to become about feelings. Yes, that's a great way to think about it. So it's like, if you just met a new person at work, what are you doing this weekend? I'm going sailing. Oh, what do you like about sailing? You know, it's not where are you going sailing? Who are you going with? That's all still on the surface. It's what do you like about sailing? What does it mean to you? What does it give you in your life? And then you're starting to actually understand the person and not the event of going sailing. And so is it just up to one person to then take the risk of that to go, okay, I'm going to be the first person to ask about this. What are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm going to meet my grandkids and one of them has a baseball game. Tell me what you would recommend. I would say if you feel weird, just keep going the way it's going until you see an opportunity to ask something about them as a person and not about the activities and whatever. You could say, oh, do you see your grandkids a lot? And if they say, yeah, then you say, you know, that's great. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I don't know where you go Anyway, see you on Monday. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is the problem, right? Because my gut reaction is, oh, that's, I have a great time. I mean, whatever, I don't know. And part of that is because I probably, this sounds awful, but I probably really don't really care. You know, I'm just being polite. Well, that's why the second of the two actions is caring. If you don't actually care, you don't have to be close to everybody that you meet. But if you are finding yourself in this feeling of like, I'm at work all day and nobody knows anything about me, it's actually quite isolating. Like it feels worse than I think people realize it feels. So just one or two questions to one or two people that like creates a bit of this getting to know you energy can change the trajectory of your work life or your family life or wherever you're feeling lonely. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. So, okay, so we got to know and we got to care. Who do we want to create closeness with? Because there's there's a lot of people, and I'm sure you've come across them, who kind of feel like all their relationships have to be close, and it gets weird. You get people who do things like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And tell me authentically. And you're like, I got check, please, right? <laughs> I know, I actually hate that stuff too, even though it's very coachy. It is coachy, that's a great, yeah, it's coachy. We love authenticity. I do too. I, it's fake though. It's, so it's the opposite of, tell me authentically. Why? So you can feel closer to me because you're forcing everybody to do that around you because you read a book? No offense. I mean, it doesn't have to be your book, but people who make it weird like that, they obviously miss the memo that you don't need to be close with everybody. You know, there's a term you may have heard of. It's called spiritual bypassing. It's like my favorite term ever. It's about these people who just jump straight to like spiritual guru to actually not deal with real stuff. Oh, interesting. Right. The people who go super deep and then you find out their regular life is a complete mess. Right. Oh, I love that. But they're very authentic, you know? Sure. Oh, I'm going to use the hell out of that. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's good. How do we pick our targets, right? Okay, I'm going to become close with these people because it makes sense. And I'm not going to try to be close with everybody at work because it's inappropriate. How do we gauge who should we be even trying for this with? Yeah, unfortunately, it's going to be a case by case basis, but it's never really a bad idea to start with the more quote unquote traditional close relationships. So those would be a spouse or a romantic partner, siblings or parents. And then if you have best friends who like maybe were at one time your best friend and you guys have fallen out of touch for whatever reason, those are good places to start. If you don't have any of those, then it is going to be one of those things that kind of is like not dating, but like friend dating, which is challenging. And there's a lot to say around that of just how to meet people who could be your friend. 
So basically, people who we kind of assume we already should be close with are great places to start, right? Like, oh, me and my brother, we don't talk much because he lives far away and he's 10 years older. Okay, well, maybe you should give that a shot. You have the same parents, you know? A lot of your values are the same. That makes a lot of sense. That actually makes a, a heck of a lot of sense. And I can't tell you how many times when I'm talking with people, they say, well, yeah, I've got older siblings, but we're not that close because they were kind of like in late high school when I was born. So we don't really talk much and they have kids of their own. And I'm thinking, what a shame. As an only child, I'm like, what a waste of a sibling to just kind of not really know them that well. Yeah, and you know how we were kind of talking about, there's like a weird factor to this. Like, you know, if you just approach a total random stranger, there is kind of a weird factor. Right, yes. You can kind of weird people out being like, what are you about? But if it's a sibling, for example, it feels more wrong to not be close to them. It does. So I'll ask the natural follow-up, which is people listening right now are going, I don't have any siblings, where do I start with this? You know, Or I'm close to my siblings, but they all live in Antarctica. Where do I begin with this? You know, How do I get close to the people at work? I've worked with them for five years. Isn't it weird if I just suddenly say, hey, we've worked together for five years and I don't know much about you, or I mean, is that okay? Where do we start with that? How do we naturally make that happen without them going, oh my gosh, Kira just turned around and was like, hey, let's be friends. Oh, I can't, I gotta switch cubicles. <laughs> well, I do that all the time, so it doesn't weird me out. I aggressively friend people all the time. I like that. I think that's cool. But I think people might feel it's daunting. It is. And the first thing I will say, and it's not just a cop out, is that there's no way that this is going to be completely comfortable if you're not already comfortable. Unless you already have your people and you're set, you have your five close relationships and you're good. If you don't, there is going to be a certain amount of, you know, making yourself a little bit vulnerable or a little bit open to rejection. And that has to be part of it. But the way that I tell people to get started, like let's say they have no close friends, no romantic partner and no close family, but they do go to work. The place where I would say to start is, is there anybody in your workplace who you feel interested in? Like, is there anybody you would like to know more about? Because you just find them interesting for whatever reason. You think they're funny. They send funny memes around in your email or whatever. You like them. So now you've identified somebody that you could potentially build a friendship with. And then you start doing the knowing and caring stuff from there in little baby steps. So realizing that this is something, that closeness is within our control to create is kind of, it sounds like that's the first step. Just realizing, oh, it's not just luck of the draw. Sure, I started working here and everybody else has worked here for three years. It doesn't mean that I'm permanently on the outside. It doesn't. And also people who you know, have big families can be lonely. That's actually very, very common. And people who are married can be lonely. So nobody really has the upper hand just based on their circumstances. Is this something that we can apply in business or is this just with interpersonal relationships? Uh, it actually is. That was not really my intention when I started thinking about closeness. But there's been a number of studies that have been done just purely about what makes teams more productive at work. And the main thing actually far and away is the amount that the team members talk about things other than work. So the amount that they talk about their lives, essentially. So to me, that's a clear knowing advantage. They actually know stuff about each other. Yeah, you have a little bit of a leg up there. I would love to see some outlines of actions here, right? Because we want to get organized about 
how the people in our life measure up in terms of closeness? Do you have an exercise for us that we can do that makes this real? Because I don't want people to go, yeah, yeah, I gotta be closer to some people and think about that, and then it goes out the window. I mean, do you recommend writing down a list, or do you have some sort of thought device we can use, or what? Where do we begin? Yeah, I would start out, if if you can, if you're willing to write things down on paper, which not everybody is, but if you are, I would start with a reflection. So something like, think of a time when you felt like somebody really got you, or think of a time you felt like somebody was really there for you. And then just think about what that relationship was like at that time. It could be a relationship you still have, but for whatever reason, you're not as close anymore. But it's very nice to have a mental model of what it felt like at that moment to have that experience. And then you can start acting in a way that would create that for other people. I like the list exercise as well that I saw in the book, jotting down the list like people you know well, people who you think know you well, people who you care about, and people who you think care about you, which for me was interesting to see that those actually weren't all the same people, right? I know other people well that don't know me that well and vice versa, and I certainly have people that care about me that I maybe don't care about as much and vice versa, and that was sobering in many ways, but I thought that was an interesting place to start as well. And then how do we craft a plan to get close with more people? I mean, in your practice of this, do you sort of envision meeting new people with whom you can get close or meeting someone new and going, oh, this person has potential to be someone close? Because <laughs> it sounds a little weird, but it also seems like that's kind of the only way to do this. It sounds kind of weird, but it's kind of the only way to do it, unfortunately. And I just want to say one aside, people don't find this weird when it's dating. That's a good point. Like people are very goal oriented when it comes to finding a romantic partner. For some reason, we don't apply that same logic to just like relationships in general. That's a really good point. That's true. People are not afraid to go out on 30 dates a month and be like, I went on 30 dates this month. But if you're like, I made 30 new friends this month, people would be like, you're scary. I hope you don't have my address. Here's the list of all the stuff I want in my husband. Like that's par for the course for romantic world. Yeah, but if you do it with your friends, people are like, you shallow bitch. Right, exactly. You want friends with certain qualities? How dare you? <laughs> I do want friends with certain qualities. Everybody does. We just, we're afraid to tell anybody about it because we think it sounds shallow, because it does. It's totally realistic. It's totally practical. Oh, it's funny. We're sort of, um, we're pulling the sheet off of this. It's something that everybody has, but we're just afraid to say, look, I want these types of friends, because it's like, your friends should be people that you are authentically meeting and it's random and it's magical and it, that's like anybody who thinks about romance that way, you look at them and you go, you're ridiculous, that's never gonna work out for you. We just know that in this day and age, like our environment has changed and that just, if you're gonna rely on a chance happenstance meeting and then like a spark of chemistry, you're just gonna be waiting a while. <laughs> yeah, or forever. Or forever. Depending on what kind of spark you're looking for. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Kira. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you know you feel, oh my God, we didn't even talk about this? In terms of, because we were mentioning, you know, what would I want in a friend if, if I'm being very shallow about it? Sure. Really, there are two things that you really, really want to look for in a potential person to get close to. The first one is, are they willing to reveal anything personal about themselves? And it doesn't have to be right away, but in psychology land, they call it self-disclosure? Are they willing to self-disclose about anything? That's kind of a requirement. And then the second one is, 
are they weirded out by feelings? Do they have emotional capacity? Right. You don't want to have to fight that, right? Like, oh, I'm going to not only become close to this person, but I'm going to fix all the issues that are keeping them from becoming close with other people and then be close to them. It's like some battles just aren't worth fighting. Yeah. If they're extremely shut down emotionally or, you know, private in that sense, just a closed book, that's such an uphill battle that I, I wouldn't start with that type of person personally. Yeah, that makes sense. So are there quote unquote easier targets to begin with? Aside from, of course, our family and siblings and things like that, are there people that you think, okay, this is a trait exhibited by the type of person who will be receptive to this? Mm-hmm. I think that the first word that came to me is warm. Warm. Yeah, anybody who, when you're around them, they feel like receptive to other people. Yeah, warm. Well, thanks so much, Kira. I really appreciate this, and I know a lot of the people out there who are like, wait a minute, I'm lonely. They appreciate it too, and I think a lot of us probably could stand to benefit from having more close relationships. I don't know anybody that can't, let me put it that way. And I think a great place for all of us to start is looking at our existing familial relationships and looking at where those might need a little bit of work in terms of getting closer, especially for the millennials who are you know, maybe dealing a lot with having most of their relationships be primarily via social media. So thank you very much for coming on the show today. Kira Asatrian, Stop Being Lonely. We'll link that up in the show notes. Thank you so much, Kira. Thank you for having me. You got it. You know, interesting, Jason, I never really think about loneliness, but I used to. It's like once you're not anymore, you kind of lose sight of it, like any issue you're dealing with. But especially right after college and traveling and living abroad and stuff, that it creeps in, it's kind of insidious. You don't notice it until one day you wake up and you just don't want to get out of bed or you find, gee, I have nobody to talk to about this, that, and the other thing. I think especially with our digital lifestyle, it gets to be a real problem. And it can cause real damage if it goes unchecked. And I never really thought about there being a solution to this because I never really thought about labeling the problem. So I think it's fantastic that she's studied this so much and I think there's probably a lot more work to do on the subject. If you enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank Kira on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well as the book, Stop Being Lonely. You can tap our album art in any podcast player, most mobile podcast players, right on your phone. The show notes will be right there. I'm also on Twitter at The Art of Charm. You can also find all of our amazing sponsors in the show notes or go to theartofcharm.com slash advertisers. I'd also like to encourage you to join us in the Social Capital Challenge at theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text charmed to 33444. That's C-H-A-R-M-E-D to 33444. It's all about improving your network, your connection skills, and inspiring those around you to develop a relationship with you. We'll also email you our fundamentals toolbox that covers topics like body language and nonverbals, persuasion, networking, public speaking, negotiation, and a lot more. I'm also doing regular videos with drills and exercises to help you move forward every single week. This will make you a better networker and a better connector. That's at theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text charmed to 33444. This episode of The Art of Charm was produced by Jason DeFilippo. Jason Sanderson is our audio engineer and editor. Show notes on the website are by Robert Fogarty. And I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. Now stay charming and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and more at the Art of Charm Podcast dot com.